Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have Ryan Robinson on the call with us today, who is the creator of ryrob.com, the writer and author behind that. And he's also written for a number of platforms and number of outlets that you may recognize, Entrepreneur, Inc., and many others. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And he is a side hustler. And we're going to talk about side hustling today. So Ryan, thank you for being on In the Trenches. Tom, thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. So lots of places we can start. I think because the topic is side hustling, what was your side hustle that got you started? Oh, man. Over the years, many. Um, you know, the one that I would say has been my most successful and the one that launched me into what I'm doing now was freelancing. And so I, I had spent, gosh, since college, I had had essentially four four jobs doing content marketing before it was really content marketing. So, you know, the word for it was, you know, writing content um, blogging, something like that. And I had always done it for startups. Um, I've been in San Francisco Bay Area for a while. And so without really knowing it, I was a content marketer. And um, mm -hmm. eventually I started doing that on the side of my day job about three years ago. My first foray into freelancing on the side, I, I went for the platforms like the Upworks and People Per Hour. And I very quickly learned that as a freelance writer of sorts, you are treated as a commodity by the majority of people on those platforms. Um, and so that was kind of a big inspiration for me to go down this pathway of learning how to really identify high value potential clients and perfect my pitching process. And so, you know, one thing leads to another at my last full-time job working at Creative Live, I got to work with people like Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes, Nir Eyal, people that were business influencers. And I was helping them create content marketing assets to promote their courses. And so that put me in a position of meeting a lot of people that had huge, strong networks. And from there, I was able to sort of land a few big contracts with companies like LinkedIn, Zendesk, who else, QuickBooks. And eventually it just made more sense that, hey, I was earning more on the side than I was from my day job. Let's do this. Let's give it a shot full time. And so I, I quit my job. Uh, let's see, this time last year. It's been about a year full time. That's awesome. And yeah, that's the smart way to do it. My side hustle didn't replace any, like near any of my day-to-day -day income and I quit and left anyway. Um, so yours is the smart way to do it. I recommend that as a strategy <laughs> for side hustlers. Well, I've, I've been in that other position too. And, you know, I quit my first job out of college to focus on a startup with one of my friends. And, mm. you know, we had income coming in. We thought, okay, like, look at our growth numbers this is going to keep going and going and going. And, you know, three months after we quit our jobs, growth had been relatively stagnant. We hit a plateau. And so that led to us both moving home and living with our parents on opposite sides of the country. So I'm no stranger to that failure of quitting too soon, too. Yeah, good point. And 
when I look at your site and kind of the stuff you've done, so it's content, right? You're, that's like your bread and butter. Would you say that's, that's about right? Right. Yeah. That's still at least two thirds of my business right now is doing the freelance content marketing stuff. Oh, awesome. Okay. Oh, so you're actually still freelancing on that. So you really, you're still kind of side hustling, even though you have your own kind of main platform, you're still doing that. Totally. Totally. I think the side hustle thing has been so ingrained in me that, you know, my, my blog and my courses and my upcoming podcast, like all these things I sort of view as side hustles. And I think it's, Mm. it's smart under the context of just trying to create multiple sources of income so that, you know, if one thing dries up or you hit a plateau, you're not totally screwed. I like that. I mean, that's definitely one of my, I'd say fundamental philosophies and strategies, which is optionality. It's like, if you can optimize for one thing, that's probably what it should be uh, to some degree, right? I mean, I'm sure there's always like outliers and examples where that's, that wouldn't be the case, but you know, that's the nice thing. If something falls through, well, you got all these other options and the more options you have, the more leverage you have. So it's smart business. So I'm curious about how you did, like when you got into the content marketing, what was like, did you get a degree in content marketing and writing and all this? Like, how does one get to that level of like your prolific, if I'll put it that way, and I think I can, writing, which is kind of like everywhere. Like you've written on many, many platforms. You write a lot, it seems. Obviously, you're writing for clients. So you're probably writing for a lot of stuff I don't even see and many people don't even see. How'd you get to that point? Well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I don't sure. think of myself as prolific, but um, I, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into it. And going back to sort of the beginning, you know, I didn't really write I didn't have a blog during college at all. Like I, I studied entrepreneurship, um, which fell under business, you know, as a, as a degree technically, but the class that really sort of shaped me the most was my online marketing class. And the professor that I had for that class, I literally still keep in touch with to this day. Like I went down and spoke in one of his classes, um, in February of this year. And so I had one particular like guest speaker actually in that class who was a freelance writer and just listening to his story and what he does, it just sort of clicked for me that this was something I at least wanted to try. It wasn't like, oh man, this is going to be my calling for sure. But it was like, you know what, what do I have to lose? Why don't I start a blog? And so like at the time in college, I had started my, my very first business around a product called the iStash. And it was this sort of iPhone lookalike, hide your anything device. It was designed to sneak, you know, I'm air quoting cigarettes and things like that into concerts and music festivals. And so at at the time, I had this product of mine that I could try and learn how to market. And so that was sort of when I first started blogging. And I, I did some of the certification type stuff. So I got once I got my very first job doing marketing and blogging. I went through like HubSpot's inbound marketing certification program, I think it's called. And, you know, personally, I didn't get anything out of that. I felt like it was sort of just an online quiz versus, you know, like a full on course that would teach you about something. So really, my writing and my my content marketing is pretty much completely self-taught and learned from the other people that I read. So like, you know, the Neil Patels of the world and people who have been doing this for longer than I have. I've really just learned through doing myself and sort of consuming the content of people that I like and picking out inspiration, seeing what works based on what I'm trying and 
you know, attempting to be smart about doing more of it in the future. When you look at that, I think number one, a hard thing is deconstructing really anything anybody does in a way that's, you know, useful and that you can use. So like there's a challenge in and of that itself. But I'd say another challenge too, especially when we talk about content, is just the idea of like, you know, doing it so often. And so my question for you is what has like helped you, I don't want to be presumptuous here, but but get to the point where it's easy for you, at least like you can do it fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think easy, easy is probably an unfair word because Mm -hmm. I have gradually taken on bigger challenges with the writing so Mm -hmm. that it's not something that ever stays easy for very long. So like the length of my content has grown to be like, man, when we're talking about on my blog, pretty much everything I publish is at least five, 10,000 words long. And something like that's not easy. I can't just sit down and bounce something that type of length in one sitting and have it be the kind of quality I'm proud of. But, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, like I feel like getting to the level that I am now, the competency or the confidence, whatever you want to call it in it has really come from just like physically scheduling time on my calendar to write. And I, I'm a firm believer that you don't get better at something like writing or any craft really, unless you just practice it all the time. And Aside from writing a lot, I also try and read a lot or I've been on like sort of an audiobook kick lately. But, you know, I, I find that I get tons of inspiration from the writers that I'm reading most. So like someone like Malcolm Gladwell, I feel like I have a ton of his sort of style of writing that pours through in what I do. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Write a ton. And if you don't physically set aside the time for it, in advance. And I, I do this by scheduling it on my Google calendar. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Something else is going to come up. You'll find reasons not to do it. You know, you're too tired. If it's a side hustle, you know, you're trying to write a book, let's say in the mornings or the evenings after work, it's easy to allow excuses to creep in. Well, it's like, you gotta, you gotta change an image on your website. You gotta remember to follow up with that friend of yours from years ago. You know, you, you have to sweep the floor, um, <laughs> right? And that's another part of it. Getting outside of the house is so mm. crucial for this. And I like, even for, for me, when I was writing on the side of my day job, I would just go to a coffee shop, like across the street from where my office was. Cause if I tried to do it sitting in bed or, you know, like at my kitchen table or something, not happening. That's really interesting. That's kind of fascinating because I think there's I don't think that's you know necessarily something that j- like is just for you, but I think there's probably truth across the board uh, because I think there's a lot of writers who I don't think they're unless they're just like pretending that this is effective or helpful for them. But I think it I find a lot of creative people uh, do something similar, like change up the environment. So there's probably something to that, like underlying. I don't know the psychology behind it or the the science or whatever, but it sounds like that's really powerful. Are there any other things you do? So you set a date. You, you block out your time. I'm a big proponent of Google Calendar too. I block out everything on my calendar just to, because otherwise I'm going to forget, man. Like otherwise I'm going to go spin off this planet. <laughs> so, but writing is one of those things that try as I might, sometimes I'll put it on my calendar and then of course things will pop up. So I'm actually not very, I lack self-discipline in writing. So I'm curious if there's sure. anything else that you recommend that's kind of helped you kind of maybe get over those hurdles that, that keep uh, the average mortal from like creating a lot of good content. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I'll be the first to say the effectiveness of any of these strategies, tools, tactics, whatever you want to call it, only go as far as you respect them. So, you know, what what you said about having a difficulty sitting down and actually writing during that block of time you schedule for it, like once you violate that, that's very difficult to sort of psychologically recover from. And so for me, what I do is I am like an incessant emailer. Like I spent so much time in my inbox at my previous jobs. Like you could go, I could go full day feeling like I literally just worked out of my email inbox and you know, you send one thing and then more stuff comes back your way because you sent that email. So for me, like a, I would say a huge change in my life has been using inbox by Gmail on my iPhone. Um, and so that's sort of built around this concept of like snoozing emails until a later date or tomorrow morning or tonight when you can set aside time to deal with it. And I also block off two one hour chunks of time on my calendar to give myself permission to go into my inbox and work on email. And so I have this Chrome extension for Gmail called inbox when ready. Yep. I use that too. It gives you a little hide show button at the top of your inbox and you can toggle between having a view of your inbox and literally just a blank screen that still allows you to send emails, um, to search for conversations without seeing that little bold number of, you know, 25 unread emails. I think that's so important. Some other things that have helped me in the past too, like, not that I should be giving advice on this because clearly I struggle with this, but at least from a focus standpoint, not necessarily focus on writing, but there's another thing I use. I actually forget what the Chrome extension is, but it's another one. And I put in the websites that I just am like addicted to mm-hmm. and I plug them into like my work computer and stuff like that. And I've kind of now stopped doing it, which is great. But before I'd have the habit of like, oh, if I'm loading a screen, it's like, well, while this thing is loading and taking more than two seconds or taking more than like, <laughs> you know, a half a second, I'm going to go click onto this other website and scroll. It's like, wow, that's what a, I mean, man, if you added up the amount of time wasted doing something like that, I'm sure it'd be just, I'd cry if I saw it. So it's like, oh, I got to yes. stop doing this. It's like earlier I had blocked out my newsfeed on Facebook, which was such a smart move. I encourage everybody to do that just because nobody really needs their newsfeed. Trust me on that. Your life <laughs> just improves if you do that. But then this other thing, this Chrome extension, there's probably a few out there. It'll just like block the thing. And mm-hmm. it just like, yep, you shouldn't be here. Or, or I actually, with this one, I have it redirect to like a specific like project task list that I'm working on. Okay, now that is genius. Have it redirect to your Trello or something. It redirects, <laughs> yeah. That's what that's good. I have it redirect to Basecamp and I have it redirect to a particular Basecamp with a to-do list of like kind of the main thing I'm working on right now. So it's like, yeah, that's probably what I should be focusing on. Like if I have extra time, this is the thing I should be doing. And if I don't have extra time, well, I shouldn't be on this anyway. I should be on some other task list or something like that, you know, working on these projects. I love that. It's brilliant. Okay, cool, man. So we've talked a lot about content marketing. I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. I know it's a fascinating subject for others. Well, actually, maybe one more question before I move on. So, and this is something we talked about a little bit offline. So you write for Entrepreneur, you write for Inc., Forbes, and I think many other platforms, probably done a lot of like guest posting and stuff like that. A lot of people are always interested or seemingly interested in the idea of writing for these platforms like Entrepreneur, Inc., et cetera. Is there any piece of advice you would have for somebody who wants to like get on one of these platforms and be a regular contributor? Oh, Absolutely. The first piece of advice that everyone needs to heed is to not just cold pitch editors with, you know, like a story and then make this email all about me. 
the point of reaching out to an editor is to provide value to them. That's how you want to get them to like you because, you know, content to put it honestly is relatively gone in the direction of being a commodity lately. And so there's no shortage of articles on the five steps to, you know, start a side business or something like that. Like that's, that's so done nowadays. And so I think where you can provide unique value to editors or other contributors at publications is by building a relationship with them and finding out what they actually need. And so for me, the way that I've always had the strongest results of getting a contributor account on sites like Forbes and Entrepreneur and Inc. has been by building relationships with current writers there first. So I never reach out to editors. I shouldn't say never, but I've learned now not to do it because it just doesn't really work that well unless you have some sort of warm introduction to the editor. So I will go and build a connection with a writer who likely has very similar goals to me. So most of these writers on these publications have their own personal blogs. They have some sort of business. A lot of them are consultants. A lot of them have, you know, course businesses. They have books, things like that. And so I'm thinking, you know, what can I do to provide value to that other writer first? And so I'll go ahead and use my blog as this like awesome tool. And I'm going to mention tons and tons of writers in my blog posts all the time so that I'm just building relationships with more people. And when I mention a particular writer in my blog, I'll then go ahead and send them an email, say something to the effect of, you know, hey, just featured you in my blog, wanted to give you a heads up, Um, I love your work. Something super simple. I don't make any ask in my initial outreach. And you can actually read literally all about this entire process step by step. I just published a post last week called how to cold email, I believe. And it's just at bryrob.com slash cold. And so like when I build these connections with writers, I'm able to provide value to them in the form of a feature. And so then I can make sort of the next ask since I've already provided value. I can say, hey, you know, who would you recommend that I connect to at Forbes about potentially being a contributor or sending a guest post. And if you have played your cards right, if you've delivered enough value to someone, then chances are they're going to be willing to at least make an introduction or give you the contact info for someone that you can reach out to. And so, you know, when you get the contact info, I always reach out with a subject line email saying, recommendation from so-and-so, a name that they're going to recognize, right? And at least get them to open your email. I don't ever apply to become a contributor through contact forms on these publications because you just get totally ignored. And so the more you can do to get an in with a writer and then ask them for an introduction to their editor, that is the path to go for. I love it, man. Um, now, this is the, that's like the sexy question and, and the thing that people want to know. How then do you actually, because content for these kind of publications is different than blogging, right? Like then maybe the traditional blog. I, I mean, I think like they just typically read different, like they're shorter. They're usually bullet point E things. So how do you actually then, once you get on one of these platforms, how do you create great content for them and make sure that that it's something that where I guess they would want you to continue to contribute? Yeah, there's, so there's a couple different components to your question. So First off, you got to know the destination 
that you're reaching out to. You just have to know what their content is like. So when I'm writing a couple of pitches, you know, the, most, the majority of these editors like to see a few options for pitches when you're first sort of presenting ideas to them. And in my experience, they they like contributors, at least on Forbes, to cover a specific beat. And so when I was looking at sort of author profiles for other contributors that I knew on Forbes, I'm seeing things like, you know, I write about how to ace your tech interviews, or I write about the psychology behind millennials in the workplace, like all these, you know, clear channels, like everyone's got their swim lane. And so when I reached out to this editor after an introduction, I pitched her on say, you know, check out my blog. It's about side hustles. And I always feature these different side hustle stories on my blog. Would you be interested in me covering something related to the creative ways millennials are making money? And so I, I sort of like threw out this umbrella topic. She said, sure, show me a few pitches. And then from there, I looked at tons of articles on Forbes just to gather, you know, an idea of their style. A lot of them are listicles. They're that short sort of bullet point, quick scannable type of article. And so I looked at content that had performed well on my blog. So, you know, what am I already good at? What am I good at talking about? So I went to like my best performing piece, which is about, um, it's called 101 side business ideas. And, um, I put together like a brief pitch for the editor on 15 side business ideas for millennials, something like that. And so it was kind of this, and she ended up accepting it. And it was kind of this winning combination of, you know, it's within my core competencies. It's under the umbrella of something valuable, a valuable topic that I'm pitching and it's in the style that the publication likes to publish under. So again, I think it comes down to kind of that knack for deconstructing what somebody else is doing in this context. Like in this case, it's like what, what's already working on this platform because that's clearly the stuff that they want, right? Sure. And you got you to give them, there's an element of needing to give them what they want, but they like when you can use your own unique story, your own angle, your experience. That's really... They just want to see that you've done cool stuff, basically, and that you can communicate that in a way that will teach others how to do the same. Okay, so now here's the real question. Does it pay to be on these platforms? Like, is this something that's useful? I, and I'm sure there's a lot of ways to dis, you know, discuss use, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. Is this something that's you know, useful to do and something that somebody should prioritize and who should prioritize trying to get on one of these platforms? Like, Who's going to benefit from writing for Entrepreneur or Forbes or whatever, in your opinion? I'm glad you uh, qualified it as who should consider it because I think right. for me, yes, 100%, there's no way I would be able to do what I do today without being on these platforms. It's the biggest value proposition to the people I work with. But is it that important for everyone? No, not really. In my experience, at least, right? In my experience, that's all I can really talk about. It has been super essential in terms of credibility building or credibility boosting rather it's been a tool for me to leverage other contributor accounts on, you know, sites like Business Insider or Lifehacker. And it's been essential for bringing some traffic to my blog. So I put a caveat on that. Just getting some stuff published on major publications isn't a guarantee that you're going to open up the floodgates of people coming to back to your site. I would say on average, man, maybe one in five to 10 posts will send a meaningful amount of traffic to my blog, posts on publications I write for. 
But what I really get the benefit out of is the more I write, the more backlinks that I have pointing towards my blog. And so the more Mm. backlinks you have pointing towards your key pages of content, the higher chance you have of them rising in organic search rankings. And so for my blog, like I get, I get 75% of my traffic from organic search. And that's very, very directly related to the number of posts from these high authority publications that I have pointing back at my site. Very interesting. Okay. That's good to know. I think people just have to discern if it's worth it for them. Right. And that's the bottom line. Cause I think a lot of people, I feel like that there's like, oh man, I'd love to write for these platforms. Like I, maybe one out of like five conversations I have with people where I'm just catching up or we're doing a podcast or something like that. We talk about on the side, like that's one of the things that's like the ambition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. And I, I would say it's it's never going to be a bad thing. At least I can't think of a situation where it would be a bad investment to be on these publications. It kind of gives you some some street cred too. Sure. You know, insofar as like, even if you have like a good blog, like there's something to be said that you're a columnist for these platforms. Right. Has that itself opened up any, I guess, gates for you? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I would say that the last full-time job I got working at Creative Live a big component of me getting that job was the fact that I had a contributor account on Entrepreneur. And so they they saw like, uh, you know, I got hired to market the business classes, do content marketing for their business vertical. And they saw that, okay, this guy already has access to this huge community. And it's kind of just this point of leverage where I was able to bring in new potential instructors and also sort of spread the message. I was able to to tastefully sort of walk that line of like, creating content for Creative Live that was also interesting to Entrepreneur. And so that was a huge value proposition for my employer at the time. And then, you know, even reaching into what I do now as, as a content marketing consultant, like that's, that's a huge value proposition to my clients because I'm, I'm able to, you know, when there's no conflict of interest, refer back to the content that I create with them as a relevant resource when it's good fit. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you be able to define who it's like not good for? I know you can't really definitively say that, but some people where it's like you're probably not going to get value out of it if you're if you're doing X, Y, or Z, or if you're hoping for X, Y, or Z, that's probably not the solution for you. I would say like for someone who wants to start sort of like a local small business, then I don't really see the appeal. I think it's it's kind of for anyone who wants to build thought leadership, have like a strong personal brand tied to their business. It's It's got to kind of have some sort of goal tied to it. And I think that goal can honestly be different for anyone. Gotcha. Okay. So we're talking a lot about content. I think I got the most important ones out for sure on that. Like, tell me a little bit about, and we'll be pretty quick on this piece because I know we got to wrap up here soon. But somebody's like, oh, I want to get started side hustling. Like, what are the things to keep in mind, like to get started down that path? I got to say the number one question I get from my, from my blog is, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have a business idea, something to that effect. Like what's, what's the idea? How do I find the idea? And my first answer to that is always sort of like, what are you doing already? So look at your hobbies, look at the topics that your friends and family always, you know, come to you as a resource on. Like what do what do people sort of view you as an expert at? And I think you can 
approach this from a number of different directions. You can look at your skills, you know, look at your job history. Have you always had, you know, jobs as a writer? Uh, Maybe a business that uses writing as a skill would be right for you. But, you know, kind of in the same token, you have to just start today. And if you haven't started working on something yet, are you distracting yourself by chasing the things like, you know, we were talking about earlier, um, obsessing over the, the font on your website, you know, tweaking the color of your logo, getting business cards, flyers, like everything like that is a complete waste of money. And so when you're, when you're talking about a side hustle, you have very limited time resources. And, you know, with most of the people that come to my blog, limited financial resources too. And so you're under these constraints and what you have to really do is just connect with people and connect with the audience that you think is going to be interested in what you want to build. And you really don't need to know exactly what you want to build when you're just getting started. And it's, it's all about problem identification, not opportunity identification. If you're just looking for random market opportunities, you know, when you start chasing one, you'll eventually get bored with it if you're not personally invested in the problem you're solving. So connect with real people, find problems that you are qualified to help them solve and just start helping people. You don't have to go straight to having a course or something like that. Like view yourself as a consultant and help, you know, one, two, three, five people first and see where it goes because it's, it's going to evolve, grow, and change as you do this with more people and for a longer period of time. I love it, man. Great advice. And I think the service aspect of things, people like want to move towards a course or a book or all these other things. And those are important. And you can make a lot of money on them and they're super scalable. But when you're just getting started, like the fastest path towards revenue and also like value, being a value add to somebody else is through, I think, services. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like very, very keen insight. Okay. Here's kind of my, I think my final question here okay, you're going down the path, maybe you're getting some traction. Like, when do you decide that, like, this is the direction you want to go? And I ask that in the context of side hustling itself is, like, experimental. So you may experiment with many different things. How do you know when you should, like, this is the direction I should go? Like, I should kind of stop these other things um, and go with this one one main focus or whatever that might be? Or do you even, like, never do that? What are your thoughts? Mm. That's a really interesting question. And for me, at least, the way that I view this is my people, my community, um, the people that I reach out to about an idea, whenever they're telling me that they want more of what I'm giving them, that is the sign that I'm potentially onto something here. Like I, I am constantly putting out feelers for new types of coaching or consulting offers that I could go in. Like I I have a large community of freelancers that come to my blog, you know, grab my, my cold email templates or my proposal templates, things like that. And so I'm always testing different types of offerings with them by, by probing what their problems are. And so I'll peel off like a a random segment of a hundred subscribers and just personally email all of them asking them, you know, is, is this one thing a problem? Like, do you have a difficult time? finding a decision maker at the companies you're pitching. And, you know, if if enough people say yes, then I will just physically walk through the process of helping five or 10 people do this on their own. And then I'll, I'll record any type of like video conversation I have with these people as I'm walking them through the process of, you know, looking on LinkedIn at this target company and telling them, you know, which job titles actually make the most sense for a decision maker. I'll record that type of stuff. And 
you know, later on down the line, if enough people are getting value out of this process of working with me, that's course material right there. And so I think that when you have people that are getting positive results from what you're trying to help them do, you're definitely on to something. And I keep tons of different side projects still going. I'm not really that good at winding them down, even if it's not getting explosive results. You know, I, I like to stick to my ideas. Um, I have a hard time letting go of some of them. Totally understand. Well, hey, Ryan, really appreciate the conversation today. Some great insights for anybody who's getting started, who wants to side hustle, who has a full-time job, wants to do this or part-time job, wants to do this, or even maybe you have like a, you kind of moved into that full-time gig, whatever it might be, freelancing or otherwise, but you still want to keep some things, you know, spinning on the side, which again, I think creates optionality. So I love that. Check out Ron Robinson, go to ryrob.com. But Ryan, where else can people find you, reach out, connect with you, work with you, buy your courses and all that? Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, ryrob.com is the home base for everything. It's ryrob.com. And um, I'm most active on Twitter, actually. I'm the T-H-E Ryan Robinson. Beautiful, man. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.